Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Lip Media podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respect to elders past and present and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a dissection of social and cultural issues relevant to gay men. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or join our community on Facebook by searching The Gays Are Revolting. And support the show and access our after shows and live streams at patreon.com slash gaysrevoltingpod. Hey! <laughs> good, good. We have a bit of a special episode We do tonight. have a very special episode tonight. Uh, of course, a while ago we did a, a mums episode where Mikey mm-hmm. and I uh, had our mums in the studio. Unfortunately, uh, your mum and Luke's mum couldn't do it. Luke's mum lives in Adelaide yep. and your mum mm-hmm. was living overseas, but your mum's just moved back. So, so lo and behold, here she is, <laughs> along with my gay gay brother, Ty. <laughs> Uh, hi guys. We're gonna have. Hi. A, we're, I'm very excited because we're gonna have a big chat with you guys. Uh, it's obviously a very interesting dynamic mm-hmm. um, and very unique for a lot of, of gay people. A lot of us don't have gay siblings, so I'm really interested to hear <laughs> how you. I mean, I've hung out with you guys drunk. Yes, but I'm yeah. interested to hear in an <laughs> interview sober. scenario yeah. and sober. And sober. Um, in an interview scenario, mm-hmm. what that's like, and also for a mother to uh, to have two gay sons, I cannot wait to get into yeah. that. Hashtag we, blast. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a great interview coming up with William Trulin, founder and CEO of Black, an organization working towards strengthening visibility for Indigenous members of the LGBT plus community. Very important interview, uh, especially yeah. with everything that's going on and excited to get into that. But before we do, in the studio this week, it is just Kyle and I. Uh, so we are going to get stuck into your family. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm so scared. For those listening, uh, mum's name is Patricia and uh, your brother's name is Ty. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Hi, Ty. Hi. You, listen, you both listen to the podcast? Yes. Every single week. Oh, Every single week. Even when I tell her not to, I'm like, mum, maybe just sit this one out she's like all right and then she's like sorry listen to your podcast you have some questions I'm like oh yeah, bloody right. hell yeah you're the reason that he went we keep yeah. like trying to drag sex stories out of him oh, he won't it's, tell the, it's story. the most infuriating thing that i literally wrong can't brother. stop her from listening to yeah. i love that ty's just sitting in the corner going wrong brother <laughs> <laughs> yes we should have had you on earlier to tell some of your sex stories and there's yeah, quite so a few sex stories <laughs> so patrizia you've just moved back to australia after various uh, stints overseas tell us where you've been living and what brought you back to melbourne well, I had planned to come back to Melbourne. My boys are here. They're my life. So mm-hmm. I had to come back. Um, basically, we're, was based in England, mm-hmm. but all over. And I was doing um, care work mm-hmm. or um, companionship work to fund some travel. 
So it was a bit of travel, a bit of work, a bit of travel, a bit mm-hmm. of work. Yeah. yeah, pretty good lifestyle. And sorry, just to go back even further, Kyle, you were born in South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Ty, Ty, were you born in yeah. South Africa as well? Yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah. you both sort of So, grew yeah, up. We, we grew up in South Africa and then we moved to Australia in 2006, yep. the three of us. Mm-hmm. And then in recent times, mum moved to the UK to do mm-hmm. some traveling and working. Right. Yeah. yeah, I sort of got into a sort of a situation where I was a bit of a burnout after mm-hmm. the boys moved out with work and all that. Yeah. And I just got this three o'clock in the morning thought. Yeah. Next thing the boys said, go for it. So and so, and that's when you went to the UK? For mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. And it ended up being five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. But I think it was so good for you because you traveled so much. And mm, yeah. I think it was like a lot of soul searching and stuff yeah, like that as yeah. well. Which is important to do. Yeah. And it was great because, I mean, Ty also used to come out because of his work. So mm-hmm. I used to see him at least once a year or twice a year. Usually mm-hmm. twice, yeah. And were you, were you based in London? No, um, I worked all over England, okay, even right. Scotland. Oh, so wow. you'd be like yeah. staying with families and stuff? I'd be and, staying yeah. with families mm-hmm. or else, you know, um, it wasn't worth having a place. I'd rather go on holiday somewhere Amazing. with the yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're doing what your kids should be doing. <laughs> <when they're laughs> yeah, the she, she has a photo album to I've like done prove lots it. Of travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, who knows when we'll be traveling again, uh, which brings me to my question. Like you literally decided to move back and the world went to shit and you came back at the worst possible time yeah. during a global pandemic. What was it like moving back to Because you, ju- you got here just after the, qu- the hotel enforced quarantine. Like yeah. just after. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. maybe you were on a festival and you to Two do that. Days. How was that? Horrible. <laughs> yeah. Imagine hearing about it every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was enjoy- I'm, I've got you on Facebook. I was enjoying your Facebook How was updates. the food, mum? <laughs> They're so nice to me, aren't they? <laughs> We're your boys. <laughs> we get. We have the right. The food was disgusting. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's bad enough like you closed in these four walls, yeah. no fresh air. Yeah, I couldn't believe there was no balconies or anything. No yeah. balconies. You can't open a window. Mm. I suffer already from a little bit of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And with this whole corona thing, yeah. I was even more anxious. Mm. I'd given up smoking. Yeah, that would have been a big thing with yeah. no windows. Right? So it was just like... I had to be very strong mentally. Yeah. yeah. Have you stuck with the no smoking? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I quit so smoking as well because I was not as enforced as you, yeah. but I, because I was at home and wasn't going it wasn't out. It about and... being enforced. I had planned that mm. I was going to give up smoking. Mm-hmm. And of course, Corona and also coming back to Oz it's because so of the expense. Here. Yeah. yeah. And just sort of good timing. Yeah, I just sort of in the worst possible way. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Best time to do it. So it's been five years since you've been living in the same city as Mum. What's it like having Mum back in the city, boys? Yeah. Well, last time we lived together was all in Brisbane. So yeah, so like that's true. this is a completely new environment for yeah. Mum. Yeah. Obviously, it's been a bit of a difficult time to move <laughs> back as well. Yeah. So we've been spending a lot of time together, a bit of catch up. Also, I guess because well, I saw her semi-regularly, like every six months while she was overseas, whereas Kyle yeah. saw her twice in five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've been spending a lot of time yeah. together. They're That's indulging a nice time me. They're coming over. We're going for nice <laughs> yeah, long come, come to the We're going for nice long walks. Yes. Go yeah. for yeah. walks or brunch. Or... Yeah, yeah. Yes, I've seen you've done a few brunches. Or I do the mothery thing and I make <laughs> yeah. them something to eat. Oh, cute. And, yeah. 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 So... I've... Yeah, I've brought Duncan yeah. and stuff over a few times. Yeah, Duncan's come over. Yeah. yeah. Mum's a great cook, so, like, we're not complaining. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. she uses that as a, a bribery <laughs> like, to get us over. And, yeah, we're totally fine with that. Yeah, because it's um, a bit lonely because, you know, I have to, like, reestablish myself here. Yeah. I don't have friends. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was born in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, But I really hardly ever lived here. I left mm. when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved back... we. I went to Brisbane because of the climate, mm-hmm. and um, 
boys did uni there and all that. Although we did do a trip together for my birthday. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. came to Melbourne together. The three yeah. of us. Mm. I kind of always thought we'd end up in Melbourne and now we have. Because Ty and, and I always really loved it and we'd come here for long weekends. So and I'm so like that, thrilled so. that they are in Melbourne. And mm. when I had yeah. to come back, it was Melbourne. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it wonderful that they live in the same city as well? Because imagine if they had, you had them in different oh, totally. cities, you'd have to be traveling between Yeah, mum, who would you pick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, speaking of that... <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying, it is an unusual dynamic to have uh, two two gay sons. Yeah. It's not. I mean, you, you know, they're obviously it's not unheard of, but <laughs> no, for, for a lot of people, no. that is quite a unique experience. Um, what is it like? Like, what is the experience for you to have two queer children? It's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's your normal. I, it's my normal. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I've never really. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I adore them so yeah. much, and I mean, I think they're just such superb human mm. beings. That's they nice. made mothering <laughs> so easy for me. Um, yeah, so easy. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. Yeah, look, mostly. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, what was the coming out process like from your perspective? Well, Carl was a surprise, right? Yeah, for all of us. Carl <laughs> um, was the surprise, um, so it was a little bit more of a shock. Yeah. How old? How old was Ty? I was twenty. Oh, okay. 20? Yeah, I was 20. Yeah. But I knew. Mm. I don't well, know how. Like, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, like when we actually had that conversation, yeah. I was 20. And it was, it wasn't because I chose to, situation kind of occurred where I was forced to have that conversation because mm-hmm. the question was being asked. Whereas, I mean, it was fine. It went down fine. There were a few tears and that kind of thing. <laughs> but like, it was never an issue, I guess. Because of like, I, I did went, ask him in high school and yeah. he denied it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I wasn't. It that was twenty was when I felt comfortable telling people. Yeah, yeah. I'd told probably my friends. I mean, I guess moving here from a new from a different country, I got to reestablish who I was. Yeah, yeah. very true. So yeah. I kind of had six months to figure out who I was before I kind of told yeah. you. Mm-hmm. I started uni here. It took me a while to tell the friends, but I mean, I went to an all boys boarding school where it just really wasn't an option. Yeah. So there was always a part of my life that I kind of just put on the back burner, like I'll I'll work that out later. Mm-hmm. I really hadn't had much even experience with boys until I was 19. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was hiding it. It was just like delayed. It wasn't. Yeah. You yeah. weren't at that point yet. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> and then how, how long was it between that and then Kyle? I think I don't. I think I was around 20, 19 or 20. No, I think, you when were I, younger. You, you had that. When I started having the wobbles was when you were in <laughs> high school and you had the 35-year-old. Ooh. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. Tee-hee. And that's when I had a backflip. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. about the gayness. It was about the someone, age the yeah. age difference. Someone. That's what was exciting. <laughs> for you, yeah, perhaps. I but think maybe another. what was exciting so was I thought like you told me this yeah. story in, the, in your version of the story your mum didn't know about this. Is this... Yeah... I didn't really know what she knew. I don't think she knew a lot. Well, it sounds like she did. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's crack this open. No. <laughs> she definitely knew Mums some aren't of it. stupid. I they knew know a what's lot going of it yes. because I made a big stink about it. Yeah. yeah. Italian blood. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> very fiery. So that's when you sort of had a bit of an inkling, but then you're, yeah. you're at your. Yeah, when you but decide then he to brought a girl home. Yeah, right. Also from her. Oh, yeah, school. I did. So she... I was kind of a late bloomer, I would say, <laughs> in. Okay, I was. I was kind of a late bloomer, I would say, in regards to Australian culture, because I feel like so many Australian people, they've all, like, had their first kiss at, like, 13 years old and had sex, like, 15. It's like, I had my first kiss with a girl 
in year 12. Mm. Like, Maybe you're just ugly. Don't, don't blame Australian <laughs> no, I think culture. I was, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a I mean, weird looking you know, teenager. She, like, she's stalking him. Yeah, so I, ha- I had a girlfriend for like a month or two and she was very Always aggressive. at the front door. <laughs> and he was Sexually, full of blood and, uh-huh. Yeah, she, she wanted a piece of me. Yeah. <laughs> so I used Pick to say, door open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, were so you secretly like thrilled that a girl was in the house? No, actually I didn't. I was just acting like a normal. I remember, mother, you know, I remember dating her and being it. like, "Yes, I have a girl. Like, this is the end of all that, all those gay thoughts." Mm. I can like actually, I it's might have a chance here. When you think back on it now, like, yeah. when you think of kids forcing themselves to go through stuff mm-hmm. like that, and then it also sort of raises the interesting point that it must be really hard for people who are bisexual who do yeah. have that genuine uh, attraction to both men and, mm-hmm. and women that there is an assumption made if they do have a boyfriend or if they. Do you bring boys like, home? They I must be gay. And then if they bring girls home, it's a cover or mm-hmm. vice versa. I remember during when I dated her, I remember being into it. It wasn't mm. like I was like, oh, this mm. is literally just like a cover. Mm. But I do remember feeling the kind of relief being like, oh, great. Like, maybe I am saved from this. Mm. Well, that's- so your first signs with, with sorry. I was just going to say it's like a conversation we had recently because I had a story on my Instagram of me making out with a girl and mum was like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's such a weird early 2000s thing to post in social media. I was drunk. Girls. <laughs> You're trash. Yeah, but like, I mean, you. he's really sucking her face there. Oh, so God. I made out for like a long time. Please I don't know what to tell I've, I've seen Ty's Instagram. I don't know if you should be following that, to be honest with <laughs> no, Mum, Mum is the momager of this Kardashian family. She photos. is the one in in Italy oh. being like, yeah, pose in your speedo, take that, like, get that yeah, shot. And I'm just, like, cringing nah. in the background. <laughs> oh, no, not yeah. um, <laughs> She's my own person, not Christiana. So you're really signs with, with uh, Kyle with a 35-year-old and then with Ty, you said, in high school. So Ty would have been the first one that you sort of had signs with. Did you have any friends that you could talk to about it? Did you have a lot of gay friends? Well, I, look, from the age of 17, I basically lived in gay clubs. Right, okay. Lived. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to me it wasn't like, I don't know. It was just like normality. Like mm-hmm. all my gay friends that I did have, I was from an art school. I was always a little bit eclectic, mm-hmm. a little bit different anyway. I never sort of fitted in with a normal crowd. I liked to dress a little bit different. Um, I was arty. I came from a divorced family. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was like just normal for me, mm-hmm. you know. It, they were so my was, friends, no f- so I didn't think, oh, you gay or yeah. you this. Mm. I just saw them as normal, you know, people. So and there was no real fear for you when you were asking uh, Ty when he was in high school? Look, I mean, I had the chat with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had a chat about promiscuity and this <laughs> and that. and So I was basically just covering the grounds. And yeah, if giving he the was, information mm-hmm. If he was sure. And, mm-hmm. and then I sort of stepped back because I realized their friends and mm-hmm. who they were mixing with. And I just thought, you know what? He'll be fine. Mum mm-hmm. gave me like the, I'm just worried about how people will treat you, that yeah, you're yeah. making your life harder, that kind of thing. And I think obviously like I was the first one, so that those were the concerns because like she was protective. Friend, yeah, I was mm. like also very concerned when he went started to go clubbing. Mm-hmm. I said, when you go outside the club, always be in a group, yep. you know, always please, you know, just, mm. just the thought of someone just, you know, hitting him. I mean, yeah. Even the thought of it now is just like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, well, don't worry, I'm around usually, so <laughs> it's you know, fine. So, <laughs> so it was more in that sort of respect and mm. just keep safe and just mm. watch who you hang out with and mm. things like that. Because it's different, children. you know, like when you're young and or you your friends or when you go out and it's different when your own children are gay. You know, you become even more protective. Mm. And mm. so, 
you know, anything that might, you know, make them feel different or someone who will attack them or anything like that when the tiger comes out. Mm, of course, yeah. You know? You're, I mean, having had experience on the gay scene, you'd also be aware that there is obviously a prevalence of drugs on the gay scene. Exactly. Is that another, another conversation thing. that you yeah, had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pop Good, us. healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. <laughs> Definitely. We had this conversation about. We, we were having a walk. He, we were having a walk. In, like this, yeah, no, you know. <laughs> we were having a walk in the park, and Mum's like, "Oh, the place where I'm staying, like the hallway smells." I'm like, "Oh, what?" And she's like, "Yeah, it smells like poppers." And I was like, "Just so that we're on the same page, like, what do you think poppers is?" <laughs> and she's like, "You know, like the stuff you smell in clubs." And I was like, "Okay, so the <laughs> so same you know poppers as me." <laughs> if she was going to gay clubs in the eighties, then she knows what Full poppers, poppers. smells like. Full of poppers. It's never smelled it. Never. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Because I didn't really yeah, do drugs. Neither. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was just always on a natural high, yeah. so I never really drank or did the drugs. I have the memory of when I came out, and it was kind of like you dragged it out of me. And I remember specifically because you're watching Desperate Housewives, <laughs> and there was a specific scene when the redhead Brie, or whatever her name was, the son came out, and she's like, well, no one ever tells me anything, so are you gay or are you not? <laughs> and then I just felt like the a girl. breath, <laughs> like a breath on the back of my neck as I was on the computer on MSN at the time. <laughs> and she's like, so, that guy Luke, he's not... Ella's friend is he? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and you were like, just tell me. No one ever tells me anything. So I was like, no. I don't and she was the like, specifics. yeah, I do. <laughs> and you were like, he's not Ella's boyfriend, is he? And I was like, no. And then you were like, is he your boyfriend? And I just remember shrugging my shoulders. And you're like, just tell me. And then I, I think I just silently nodded. And you're like, that's okay. That's fine. I just wanted to know. And then you went and cried. <laughs> oh. yeah, <laughs> no, I remember he, you sat on the stairs. Like, I think overwhelming, yeah. yeah no, I think you we went to your bedroom and closed the door and you called your friend Marie, who yeah. had a gay son. Um, Who's part of my coming out story. Yeah. And I remember sitting on the stairs and trying to eavesdrop your conversation, but I never really heard anything. Yeah. So I'm curious as to like what kind of advice no, she gave you. She didn't give me advice. It was more like because of this 35-year-old that all started from that Mm -hmm. and you were like a closed book. Mm -hmm. You were like a totally different person. You weren't open with me. You were defensive. I felt like I'd lost you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was being protective. So like you wouldn't get me, you know, to change my mind about the 35-year-old or whatever. Angry (laughs) mama. And like I knew and then I'm being grilled and I'm like trying not yeah. to and I'm telling and him I that like when tell, he goes like, to the clubs yeah. to tell him to stay away from you because if I catch him mm. he's going to be in problems and I don't care if I'll go to jail for it mm. you know so I, it was like I that, did that. Heavy. I made it him feel like, very small at the clubs if that makes you feel <laughs> any better right, great thank you but, um, no, yeah I think so many people so but, it was that yeah. that was the yeah. whole era of it so obviously now he finally you know and you know I mean Luke was a nice guy you know so it was fine yeah but it was just that whole like, okay, yeah. now I've got two gay sons. Yeah, and- it was such relief at the time because so many people have the preconception that I have a gay brother, therefore it must be so much easier for me to come out. But I feel like it's actually the complete opposite. Mm. No, I felt like there was so much, there was so much more pressure on me, like, mm. like in my mind, like for parents to like continue the family, like bloodline or something, or like have kids. Mm. Not that we can't have kids, but it's just there was more pressure mm. on me to be straight. So. I think, yeah, a lot of people have a misconstrued idea. Mm. Of- I also think 15, 15 years ago that that was a much bigger yeah, concept. The totally. idea Look, that I did have a few tears in selfishness for myself because, <laughs> no, I mean, they fine. are two beautiful specimens and course. not to have a grandchild from yeah. them 
there were a few tears for myself. <laughs> just trying your breeding program. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was just a little bit of selfishness thinking, yeah. oh, I'm not going to have grandchildren. But, I mean, it's possible. I remember, like, the first possible. thing I said was, like, Please don't blame me. It's not my fault. <laughs> oh, yes. He went. He says, it's got nothing to do with me. And is that something you talk to the boys about now? I and mean, we've had a lot of um, conversations since they've come out about, obviously, marriage equality and that sort of thing. And mm. it is something we see a lot more in um, mainstream media. We are seeing queer yeah, families and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Is that something? Is that, that a conversation you still have with the boys? Uh, I don't think it's anything we've spoken about recently. No, but I mean, I, I have spoken about time, uh, oh. about children, or maybe in the future when they find the right person, Carl's yeah. found the right person. So, well, speaking Gross of Carl kids. finding the right, <laughs> the right person, um, I've spent a lot of time with Duncan and absolutely adore him. I think he's such yeah. a sweet well, boy, country I, boy. When he met Carl in the beginning, and I asked Ty, and Ty had like so many good things to say, mm. and whatever Ty says is good. Yeah. <laughs> Because I mean, he doesn't prove that easily of anybody. Mm-hmm. So well, we he's pretty special. <laughs> Look, I got he must it right be pretty special. So, well, yeah. and I've met him now. He is. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say you just met him for the first time. Really, mm-hmm. How, did you obviously approve. And I just love seeing them together. Yeah. They like yeah. really, really good together. Yeah. You know, they really compliment nice. one another. It's such a weird thing dating someone for so long and them only meeting a parent mm-hmm. now yes, after like two, course. two and plus and the years. Thing is, I, I can just see the easiness and how he's himself. There's no pretentiousness. There's free flowing the way they look at each other. Just, just the way it's very easy to see. You know, the way I roll t- my eyes at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, our bedrooms are next to each other, and they giggle like schoolgirls at yeah. one in the morning. You can just oh, tell. they're not giggling, sweetie. No, <laughs> that's giggling. Um, they're just so happy to be in each other's company, yeah. and all the yeah. time. No, you're right. Yeah, oh, stop. <laughs> Now, listen, Patrizia, we've been grilling you a little bit so far, <laughs> and we've been letting Ty get off easy. Uh, so, Ty, I've got a few questions for you as well. Uh, Kyle, do you want to start? No, I was just going to say, we've been living together for, Jesus, like, close to a decade. Like, ever yep. since, like, I moved out when I was, like, 18 or something, we've been living. It, no, it is, because I moved out when I was 21, like, mm-hmm. literally the week after, and then you moved in a year later. So, it's been 10, yeah. it's been 10 I, years. Like, wow. That's yeah, other I'm people move out of home, but I've always kind of had a bit of home with me while, mm-hmm. moved, like, living out of home. COVID-19 is really throwing things out of the works. But I've been having talks with Duncan, which you know, about moving in with him and, like, progressing our relationship in that way in the near-ish future. But I there hasn't really been any talks for lately because I don't really know what's happening. But when that happens, like, how like how do you think it'll go, like, with us? Like, are you well, worried I'm, or... No, because, you, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, it's sad because, like, I love living with you and we're mm. so close. And it's Aww. you take for granted being able to see the person that is, like, the world to you, like, every single day. But <laughs> to me, it makes me happy because you mm. get to then, you know, like, take that next step in your relationship. And, yeah. like, that's what I would want for mm. you. Kyle actually lived with me and my partner. We were together for seven years. <laughs> took a years. step into the next relationship with <laughs> yeah, Kyle. And I was yeah. like, well, this is going well, but Kyle's coming with. Um, so, like, he lived with me and my um, boyfriend for, like, we all about moved, four we, years. We moved so from Brisbane together, the We all moved here together. So, yeah. Kyle's kind of like my child, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to have, like, empty nest syndrome. Or <laughs> in your sympathy. Look, Ty might adopt a child now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, with me. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a really odd transition. It is a beautiful relationship that you guys have as brothers. I, I, I mean, I'm close with my yeah. brothers as in that I love them, but mm-hmm. our lives could not be more mm-hmm. different. I've got one who's a, a tradie and one who's a scientist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I've always felt really lucky 
to have a gay brother because yeah. I feel like that's really kind of bonded us and mm. we are so close and we know everything about each other's lives. We have all the same friendship groups. Mm. It's really nice to have like a best friend in a relative. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Is that how you would you describe? When you were teenagers, we were like chalk and cheese. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So but you are, I mean, your, your personalities are different, very, but you yeah. have a very strong bond, I guess is what mm. I'm saying. Yeah. How would you describe your relationship? Well, though? like, I think you're right that Carl and I are very different personality wise. And yeah, definitely. I think in our teens, we, Oof. we had a lot of, I don't know, mm. I wouldn't say issues, but like we didn't always relate. But I think shared experience and like love, we've been able to put a lot of that aside. Mm. And I think like we're, I, I've always felt like our whole life that like Carl's very hard headed. He doesn't want to hear when he's wrong or <laughs> mm. anything like that. But I feel like I've always been that person that can just sit him down and be like, yeah. hey, you're being an idiot or you're being a dick or you need well, to rein yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always feel like he won't take that from anyone else. Mm. No, he won't. Not from me. I have to go to Tyra and say, <laughs> please speak to your Ty's brother. Ty's always been the mediator. <laughs> so, and yeah. if we've had an argument, Tyron and myself, yeah. Carl is the one that just can't deal with mm. it. You know, he just... Yeah, I guess in a way, because for most of my life, it has always been the three of us. We've never really had a big family. We've never, like had close relationships with like a lot of our family so it's always been we've been a tight-knit trio trio. yeah dad's been in my life but he's always lived far away and he's like because like now he lives in south africa he's always lived in like another state and stuff like that so i have a lot more contact with mum, and yeah ty i guess has always been like kind of the male figure in my life Mm. so yeah it's it's been an interesting dynamic for sure Mm. And, and ty was it a conscious decision for you to take Kyle under your wing or that just naturally was um, like the way I, I that- think it's a combination because like I'm I'm that kind of person with most people in my mm-hmm. life I think from romantic relationships to friendships like I'm a bit of a carer but I think with Kyle obviously helping him in terms of like accepting his gayness and a queer lifestyle and all that sort of stuff like that was definitely a conscious choice I felt like I had experience and wisdom to share and I felt like I could make accepting himself Mm -hmm. easier for himself because Mm -hmm. that's something I'd already gone through Mm -hmm. yeah because you took me in my first gay club like on my 18th birthday and stuff Mm -hmm. like that like I when I look back now I had like such weird views on homosexuality and I had so much like internalized homophobia at the time and i remember like i was like oh i'm never going to be like a femme gay that's oh. disgusting like, i had these awful thoughts and i'm like i should like really be masculine or, like i can't look too I gay can't even say to him you're I so can't... gay you go <laughs> yeah and i do it I, on purpose and you're I, so gay yeah mom used to rile me up and be like you're so gay but like and i used to take such offense to it and yeah and i think he's definitely helped me become who i am today i think i never hated the gay part of myself mm-hmm. like that was always a plus you know i was like it's part of what makes me me, and I, I mean, I haven't always loved myself, but that's never been a reason why. Mm-hmm. And to see Kyle struggling so much with it, like, that was a big thing to me because I was like, it's something to be celebrated, it's something to be enjoyed, and I wanted to show him that. And I think, uh, like, one of my favourite things is literally the growth I've seen just since starting this podcast. Oh, amazing. <laughs> the acceptance yeah. of himself and his community and the comfort that he's reached, like, it's been a huge personal learning tool. So, like, that makes me really proud. <laughs> it is. I've seen a huge change. Mm. I mean, he's just become more and more of a man. Oh, God. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just a twig or a branch in my eye or something. Pot, your eyes are red. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, um, look, I think when when queer people hear of people that have siblings that are queer 
there's so many questions I have mm. because it's such, a, as I've said, it's such a unique way of growing up. There, there are experiences that my family will never understand because they have not gone through them yeah. themselves. But you two have that to share with each other. Mm. Having said that, you also live together. Now, yeah. there are a lot of things that my housemates <laughs> know about me. A lot of <laughs> intimate. You know, they might hear a little sound that comes from my phone every now and then. But oh, um, you know, that my family wouldn't know, regardless of how close I am to them. What is it like living with a gay brother? Oh, God, it is a gay old time. <laughs> no, honestly, it's it's so nice because we do share all of our friends and we have such a big social group. So it's so nice kind of having like our gay social hub. Yeah. And we do like host a lot of drinks and social events. So it's really nice to have that kind of support. And we get like really excited about like hosting things and making cheese boards and like mm-hmm. doing all that sort of thing. So it's always been- themed drinks. Yeah, I guess it's always been- I've never felt uncomfortable about being gay in my own home. Mm. And so that's a really nice feeling. Yeah. I yeah. think he's asking about sex stuff. Well, th- oh. well there's also that element <laughs> Look, as well. I try to block that out. <laughs> with, is it, is it, is there earmarks, an op- and that's not just with, a gay thing. I think any adult siblings living together, like, is it well, I think awkward having grinder roots around? Well, I think it's also just that um, Kyle is far more prudish than I am, or he has been. <laughs> um, he's much better than he used to be. You couldn't even say, like, sex. Oh, word please. sex without his cheeks turning red. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, we'd w- watch, like, programs on TV. If there was a sex scene, he'd... Like, that's normal. No one wants to watch a sex like, scene with their parent. He'd, like, walk out <laughs> I mean, or do something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, like, earlier, like... We used to just not talk about sex or to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Mm. Like, that would be the extent of it. Like, I'm not mm. saying we have in-depth conversations, no, but-, but, like, we're far more comfortable. Yeah. Is, it's, it would be okay for you then to bring someone home from Poof Dorf. Oh, or he does. Then, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you wouldn't be limiting yourself if you knew he does, was going to be home. Um, uh, no, I, because he's lived with me for long enough to yeah, know that that's To know that I can send an angry text. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or be like, do you mind closing your door? <laughs> Toss off his yeah. I'm interested, you said before that you're really proud of, and this is for both of you really, um, proud of how Kyle's developed on the podcast by listening to him mm-hmm. on the podcast. I imagine for you, Patrizio, it would have been quite lovely to have a weekly sort of update of your son's life when you're living overseas. Yeah. 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 I mean, I actually enjoy the podcast on a whole. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I always wonderful. think, I'm like, surely you great. can't be enjoying this content. Like, none of it applies oh, to you. Oh, come on, Carl. But- I mean, I'm an old bag. And I, used to, <laughs> I used to go to gay clubs and, you know, I've had a life. Thank you. Yeah. But has it been weird, though, hearing Kyle share the part, the queer parts of his life on the podcast? Uh, I have giggles because yeah. I know how prudish he is. <laughs> so it's just like being wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Like, mum's probably learning stories stories that she wasn't aware of whereas mm. for me it was probably just actually to see that interaction and like see the growth yeah. and like how he deals with the you know the three of you yeah, and there were a few times i had little few little tears you know yeah. especially because of being so far away course, or whatever yeah. but uh, oh when he says nice things about me like uh, <laughs> i enjoy <laughs> that oh, because yeah. kyle does not say nice things <laughs> to my face ever well what's the point of that <laughs> <laughs> listen thanks both of you so much for coming in today this has been absolutely beautiful uh to hear you both talking about yeah, kyle it's been and eye-opening yeah <laughs> i just have you all no, confirmed, I did not There were cry. tears. <laughs> there were no tears. tears. I saw tears. Big no. No. Now, both of you are going to stick around for the after show, of course, yes, uh, because yeah. we are going to put you uh, to the test. I'm going to play a bit of a oh, game God. show oh. with the two of you. We're going to play a little game, Mum. <laughs> oh, We're going to find out who the favourite son is. Yeah, finally. Very finally. excited. Oh, so, yeah. for well, anyone that wants to, uh, <laughs> to listen to that, sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gaysrevoltingpod. Yeah. And we'll really just try and tear this family apart. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Black Aboriginal Corporation was established as a response to the need for visibility for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander LGBTQ community. Black is a not-for-profit, volunteer and community-led initiative. And tonight we're joined by the founder and CEO, William Chulin. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us this week, Will, or virtually coming <laughs> yeah no thanks for having me so i just want to acknowledge country um i live on the lands of the gadigal people here in sydney um acknowledge my ancestors elders past and present um and acknowledge all of the warriors who have come before me and created space for me to be able to sit and have a yarn with you fabulous boys today i also want to acknowledge that i am on the shoulders of some pretty staunch and amazing lgbtq advocates who also have given me um, the um, a platform to share my experiences, but to also continue carrying the torch for fighting for equal opportunities for not just my Aboriginal community, but my queer Aboriginal community, which I know some of us, some some, some of them, are some of the most disadvantaged. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that you boys have allowed us to come on today, and uh, thank you for having um, Black come and present and be able to share a bit about our story. And it's really important that we always get space to talk about these issues. Um, so I just want to thank you for allowing me to come along and have this yarn with you guys today. Oh, William, we're, we're so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for that that uh, that beautiful welcome. That was lovely. Yeah. Um, now, firstly, what sort of services do, and resources does Black use to empower the often overlooked members of our First Nations LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, so um, like um, it was mentioned, that Black was established as a collective response to the need of um, self-determined and self-led services. Um, and what essentially we're looking at doing is creating space that's done by mob for mob. So a whole um, a whole raft of issues which we're looking at producing over the next kind of six months in regards to food services, legal advice, housing, crisis housing, I should say, sorry, but also around sexual health and how do we support community in getting proper sexual health advice. So there's lots of organisations doing some really amazing work out there, such as ACON in New South Wales. But also understanding that culturally safe spaces are really important as well. Mm. So it's understanding is about how do we actually meet the need of um, what community is saying. So what tends to happen really is, is a lot of times is that service providers provide services based on funding constraints. And sometimes it doesn't meet our, our community's needs. So what we're looking at doing is working with those service providers to ensure that they take a holistic approach 
but also we're looking at um, how do we kind of create evidence-based research, uh, which is something that's lacking kind of in particularly in the LGBTQ plus um, First Nations or Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander space as well, which um, which is hugely important because it helps organisations have um, a better approach to service provision. Uh, but essentially, Black was kind of set up as a, as a collective to say, hey, listen, we need to get together to start creating social change because we've got some of the most kind of vulnerable community members mm. out there with young homeless people is a, is, a, is a risk, is a huge kind of thing we're dealing with. Um, kids who are leaving home due to them coming out, them coming to Sydney, and there's no kind of touch point. So we're like, well, what are we doing? We need to get better at it. And that's kind of where Black started and what mm. we're seeing is we're evolving but at the core of what we're doing is we're placing our, our mob at, at the centre and figuring out, well, how do we support them to get the best outcome so they can be, live their best life, essentially? You, the, you raise a really good point with the research that there's not a good, uh, not enough research that's been done historically, and, and we'll get into that a bit more later. But I'm really keen to hear how you um, connect with community. You know, it's such a vast space, this country. How, how, how do you go out and, and get this information from people to sort of find out what they need? Yeah, so it's a really good question because it's it's – Contextualizing with Aboriginal culture, we're really diverse as a community. One community may be very different from, say, you know, from Dubbo to Sydney, down to South Coast, up to Queensland. Mm. So understanding community need is really place-based. So what we're doing is we're looking to connect to build capacity within communities to start talking about and having conversations on issues that impact them so we can look at place-based design. But when we talk about how do we access, we obviously have to use platforms like social media and then coming on to spaces like this space as well, talking about it, it's, it's providing um, opportunities for us to promote our services, but to connect with people who may not necessarily let Blacks available or Blacks around. Mm. So it's really about, you know, place-based design or place-based service provision so they get the maximum outcome based on that community need. Mm. For our listeners, I think we always like getting people in to share a little bit of insight that they may not have in their day-to-day lives. Could you tell us a little bit about how Indigenous culture approached sexuality um, pre-colonization mm. and how queer people were included in family structures? You know, I think uh, that's a really uh, fascinating sort of thing to delve into a little. Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question um, and it's something that we're asking um, ourselves, but we're probably the most under-researched population. Mm-hmm. So um, you look at the experiences of other First Nations communities around the world. So, for example, um, the Native American people, and there's so much research and credits, um, concepts like two spirits. I'm not sure if you've mm-hmm. heard about that, but yeah. two spirits around uh, the idea of someone having a third gender pre-colonization yeah. in the American context or the first um, Native American context. The issue we face here in Australia is there's actually no research that talks about it. There's no kind of research that um, articulates uh, LGBTQ experiences pre-colonisation or captures Mm. that. Not to say it doesn't exist um, because it would be highly unlikely that would be the case. I just think um, that due to the fact that we haven't had organisations like Black in the past to be leading the charge or be advocating on behalf of research to be done in that space, it seems to be um, a bit of a gap. And that's what we're looking at doing. So we're, we're heavily involved in, in, in research as an organisation and um, partnering with places like University of Western Sydney. And we're do- looking at social emotional well-being of young LGBTQ people and the intersectionality of culture and identity and their experiences. But have as a part of that, that is about growing evidence base, like I talked about previously because of the lack of data. But it's about giving us... I guess, a platform to start having uh, much larger conversations around the concept of sexuality or the intersectionality of culture and, uh, and sexual identity prior to colonisation. 
Mm. I think what we're also discussing is around well, how do I how do we want to define ourselves as as queer people or as queer Aboriginal people because the LGBTQ plus is a very westernised term. There is now conversation about actually, well, is there a way that we want to re- redefine ourselves as queer blackfellas or queer Torres Strait Islander people? And what yeah. does that actually look like? Um, so mm. it's a really exciting time in that space. So yeah, it, it, I would say watch it um, because we are, we are actively kind of seeking um, more clarity around it. I was going to say, I also think it's really important and amazing that it is Indigenous people that are doing this research because as we've yeah. now learned, and we're only finding out now, I mean, I went to a white suburban school and, and I'm only discovering now how white our in, very little teaching of Indigenous history was, was so whitewashed because it was research that was done white people and then sort of changed for white textbooks. It's so amazing that it is Indigenous people that are doing this Indigenous research that will then be presenting that information because um, that's actually going to be what helps in the future, I think. Yeah, and we're looking at we're looking at talking about well, actually, what how do we create an ethical platform so when they're conducting this research is done on our terms, and what does mm, that exactly. mean, we mean by our terms? How does the data then get used, and what does data sovereignty look like? And these are very much narratives and conversations that are happening. And Blacks leading the way, like we're very actively having lots of conversations with universities and other peak organisations to start challenging the status quo. What tends to get missed within um, our community is around the importance of queer people within kinship and how that actually kind of what our roles are. Um, So from my experience and from the people who are within my network, what I find tends to happen is people who identify as a part of our community um, tend to be the ones that obviously have a leadership role within the family as well. We, we, we don't, there's no research to back to why that is, but what we're seeing is I think because we've had to deal with the idea of culture and sexuality in that colliding and how we manage it, there is this sense of capability within our queer community that we tend to take on a more kind of leadership role within our family dynamic and or actually the workplace as well. So as you say, you've obviously met Alan Clark last week who's just an extremely amazing human, but there are some really incredible Aboriginal LGBTQ activists and people who have been working in this space for you know, a lot longer than I have that have also been a part of family structure that have kept families alive as well. So it begs to differ if we actually did the research, we'd probably find the similar kind of narrative pre-colonisation as well. Mm. So I'm really keen to know, so obviously there is a huge amount of research to be done still and you've only really just started, but what does some of this new data show us about Indigenous people, uh, how they're experiencing their queerness? I'm, I'm especially interested in like younger people. Do we know yet, uh, are younger Indigenous people more comfortable to be coming out now compared to, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, so um, there is lots of data as it relates to the LGBTQ experience as a collective. The issue with that data is it doesn't actually necessarily reflect the diversity within that. So um, obviously the cold community, so the diverse community from people from non-English speaking backgrounds, but also Aboriginal communities aren't necessarily reflected in all of its true essence because their questions aren't getting asked effectively. So there's lots of work happening around the data sets, but what we're seeing with some of the data, you know, we look at the Goenna survey, which is a survey done by a South Australian man. I can't remember his name for the life of me, but it's about um, surveying young people around um, a whole raft of questions. But some of the early data released um, in 2018 talks about the lack of sexual education within young queer people, Mm -hmm. um, particularly around HIV awareness and prevention. So there are kind of bit there are alarming kind of trends that are happening with you know a thirty three percent increase of HIV um, transmission within Aboriginal men, particularly over the lo- kind of last two years, which is a huge kind of concern. 
So what was what what that kind of tells us, or what we're seeing with that, is that we know that the campaigns that are being getting done aren't necessarily reaching our community. Hence, why Black's really important to start challenging the system because what the data is showing is there is a decrease within non-Aboriginal people within, um, I guess, the white men essentially. But what we're seeing is there's a much more increase within um, within the Aboriginal kind of communities. Um, so there, there's a lots of work to do and I think um, the data now, hopefully over the next kind of two years when we start a- advocating and act, um, activating um, partnerships like ACON and start challenging how they capture data, will hopefully have a much more clearer picture. Mm. Now, you mentioned before, last week we spoke with Alan Clark uh, about Australia's awful record of Indigenous deaths in custody, but incarceration rates are also incredibly uh, disproportionate. Uh, Indigenous people are locked up for small drug possessions and things like unpaid fines, while white people often walk away with nothing but, you know, a warning and a slap on the wrist. Uh, Do you think this is plain racism? Like, is it conscious racism or is it more of an unconscious bias? And I guess then the next question is, which one is harder to fight? Oh, right. Okay, so this has about 40 yeah, layers yeah, yeah. to the question. But look, no, it's a really important question to unpack, though. I really think it's, um, yeah. it's something to understand because it is, it's highly complex. And the issue of the incarceration rates that we see now uh, of, of First Nations people and, you know, and of young people in the juvenile justice system, mm. you know, if you look at the Northern Territory experience, I think it's like 97% of young people in the juvenile justice system in Northern Territory are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, like that's just mind-boggling, you know. Mm. You know, we are the highest incarcerated people in the world. It's now Mm. known fact. And the interesting thing is when we start talking about this, the narrative that comes from non-Aboriginal people um, and starts what they do is they try and defend by giving alternative data by saying that, well, they have this many white people being killed or, you know. But I think the issue that we face or the issue when we start doing that becomes dangerous and, and misses, I think, starts kind of diluting the importance of understanding why people are incarcerated yes, and how the system lets them down. Now, I, do, I want to make it very clear to everybody, like I'm not saying that all Aboriginal people who are in jail don't need to be there. It's not what I'm saying. There are absolutely experiences that need to be acknowledged of people who have been hurt by criminals. The difference is, the difference is, is around the system is set up to discriminate. Now, if you think about culturally, we have an Aboriginal culture pre-colonisation that got an imposed system from a Western world. Mm-hmm. So they have this kind of Western um, ideology brought in. They created policies and legislations that did not meet with us culturally. The other part is also around power of definition. So we're operating in a space, particularly as Aboriginal people, where we don't have the power of defining what that language means. Mm. So you look at this idea of um, the word neglect, um, and in a Western terms, it means that you aren't looking after a your your child, or you aren't looking after yourself, based on um, this kind of idea of what neglect means on a Western term. What we're saying, or what we're seeing now, is this term necessarily doesn't bend or allow itself in the Aboriginal context. So I might have a might have my family members over who have kids. Those four kids might sleep on a mattress in the lounge room. Based Mm -hmm. on a Western term, that could be deemed as neglect. Mm -hmm. I then can get myself in trouble. So the reason why it's important and the reason why we talk about this is when we need to understand them, well, why is it that Aboriginal people then are being locked up? And you look at 10-year day experience, and I'm going to use these names very, very uh, purposefully. 10-year day was discriminated against based on her colour. In the coroner's request, on the coroner's inquest, they talked about um, another another person who was also drunk on the following train. Police were called. They took that person home. 
So we talk about how we talk about how institutional discrimination works and what does that actually mean. So if you then take into consideration power of definition, you take into consideration how those laws are then interpreted and how those laws are then applied to people of colour, and then then we start seeing the, dispo- the disproportionate of kind of well actually this is how or why Aboriginal people are particularly being incarcerated at a higher rate than non-Aboriginal people. And you only have to look at some of the laws. Like, I'm assuming you boys have been drunk in public before, because I know I have. <laughs> Me? Right? Yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> but did you know, but did you know that up until recently, you could be you could be locked up for being drunk in public in, um, in Victoria? But just just for being drunk? Just for being drunk in public. And, and that's the premise of what Tanya Day was locked up on, being drunk in public. And that's the law yeah. they use to lock her up. They then said it was actually because they were afraid for her safety, but yet right. not once they didn't check on her in six, in six hours. When I go watch the Melbourne Cup and see all these people leaving the Melbourne Cup, it's very rarely you see people getting locked up for being drunk, right? Mm. But it happened to Tanya and Tanya got locked up and she died because of the injuries that she received. So this is these are really really prime examples or clear examples of how a outdated policy which was based on Western terms discriminate against someone of color and how they can be used to discriminate on someone against the color and that's up to the the authority's discretion to use it. Mm. So you know I think the small drug possessions and the unpaid fines and you know you look at WA WA you can be locked up for having unpaid fines now I have unpaid fines in my name in New South Wales and, I, and I'm very fortunate that I don't I can't be locked up but it's just really interesting when you kind of see it happen and play out and whether they're unconscious bias or not I don't know it's really hard to unpack because once again there's no research to talk about it mm. the research that was done in 1991 at the Royal Commission that had 300 plus recommendations and four of those four out of 300 were implemented, and the mm. interesting thing about that is one of the recommendations was they need to ch- they need to um, abolish the law of being drunk in public in 1991. So if they thought about that, you think about that. If they, they took, yeah. if they did that, Tanya wouldn't be dead. Mm. Yeah, totally I should. I, I need to yeah. change my words. I should. I said there is it you know plain racism or is it unconscious bias unconscious bias is still racism and it really i should yeah. say unconscious racism which doesn't make it any better ethically but it just is a, it's i guess a different way of yeah and look and i teach this as a part of my job so I, I wear multiple hats and one of my roles is about building capabilities of people to understand the aboriginal experience um the interesting thing about the topic of unconscious bias it requires um First off, for me, it requires an Australia to acknowledge. And what I mean by that is the context of Australia's history. Um, you mentioned previously about, you know, it's get, it gets whitewashed at school. Um, but Australia's history only starts 250 years ago, which I find really interesting when Aboriginal history goes back 60,000 years, which we don't embrace, which I think we're really doing ourselves injustice because I would be super proud. Well, I am super proud that we live on a country that housed the oldest living civilization in this world. Mm. And it's such a rich and beautiful and unique culture that has some of the most unique principles backing it. But we only talk about only 250 years of history. Do you know what I mean? So like, I think, you know, we do ourselves an injustice by not embracing that. It's quite shocking to people from other cultures when they figure that out, when they visit Australia or they spend some time here, if they see how disconnected a lot of the people are from our history beyond those 250 years it's kind of shocking to them because mm. we get taught that this country started yeah I, I, 250 it, years ago but it didn't like you yeah. know this we've got the evidence and this is not 
blackfellow evidence this is western academia evidence that talks scientific evidence that proves what we're saying so we're only going by what the research is showing as in regards to our history but the interesting thing is is when we talk about Australian culture, people tend to go, I'll put a shrimp on the barbie or something. And mm. I'm like, well, shrimp's bloody American for starters, mm. right? <laughs> and like you think about, well, like, well, it's like Lemmington's or Pavlova's both also adopted from New Zealand and, you know, Russell Crowe also adopted from New Zealand. So this kind of idea of a cultural, um, we have a bit of an identity crisis, I think, as a society. And I think mm. that has a lot to do with the fact that we only, we only talk about 250 years of history, but the reality is we've got tens of thousands of years of history, which is incredibly beautiful and, you know, and diverse and intricate and, and, and unique that we should be celebrating because that's the problem is that if we, if we start talking about the issues, we'll have to start having to look inwards. And I mm, think yes. to your point there, people are scared of that. And, you know, we see it all the time. You talk about privilege or you talk about white privilege or male privilege and most of the time people seize up and they hold their breath and they get really tense so what I mean, I'm going to say statements, probably going to sound a little weird, but I'm super privilege positive, which means that we should talk about our privileges and let's let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable to talk about them because when we don't, that's when they're dangerous. And mm. that's what I find happens with all that narrative when you see it on Twitter is that they get too uncomfortable. Let's not talk about it. Let's just kind of play blame. So it kind of justifies the means to the end. And I'm just like, I just I get so tired of that kind of. It's tiring. Yeah. <laughs> it's so tiring. But it is, it, I think it's like a defense mechanism that yeah. means I, I, I don't have to pull apart this system that actually has benefited me in a lot of ways mm. for my life. Uh, if yeah, I that's can, the thing, isn't it? It's been confronted by the fact that you have benefited from this bias. And so if you're going to look at it, you've then got to acknowledge that you shouldn't have been receiving you know, yeah, so yeah. It's much treatment. easier for me to go. It's this person's fault, yeah, exactly, or yeah. they should. This would have happened to them anyway. But um, mm. yeah. Uh, similar on that note, a very uh, strong message coming out of the US right now is is this this call to defund the police, to take money mm. out of the police force, put it into things like education. That's in response to the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that are happening right now with. The issues that we're facing here in Australia, we're, we're looking at that same concept and saying, does what does this concept mean for us here in Australia? And what would that mean for the Indigenous people of Australia if we were to similarly uh, throw up our arms and say, let's cut funding, let's defund the police here? What does what does that look like for for our Indigenous people? Yeah, and look, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak from my experience and what that means to me, and and that's got to do with the experience through my work and within my community and within my network. And I think the idea of defunding police, I actually want to go one further. I think we need to look at defunding the system that keeps people impoverished. So, 2016, there was a Productivity Commission uh, report which was um, went into. A whole raft, um, uh, raft of areas, um, but the one that kind of really stood out to us as a community was the spend within Aboriginal affairs across the country, both federally, state, and locally. And I think, off the top of my head, the Productivity Commission report um, stated that Aboriginal or First Nations um, or Indigenous spend across uh, the country was about thirty-one billion dollars. Now, mm. I just want to let that sink in. That's thirty-one billion dollars. Mm. The interesting thing that which also the product uh, the report kind of articulated was actually how much they interface with community and what it says it says I think it's about five point nine billion. 
So we have a national spend, about $31 billion in Aboriginal affairs across the country, or Indigenous affairs, or whatever you want to call it, and 5.9 of that interface with communities. So that's money going into organisations to provide services and or mm-hmm. um, build programs, so forth and so on. So that tells us that there's about $24 billion being spent Going, back of house. Yeah, yeah. You think about the incarceration rate. If we were to move those kids, so I think it, you know, I think it's like $100,000 to keep someone in prison each year on the taxpayer's dime. Don't quote me on it. You can fact check me later. <laughs> yeah. I know it's a lot of money to keep people in prison, right? It's costing a fortune to do yeah. it. So, like, I, I look at what these statistics show us and the yeah. idea of defunding, I think is a really interesting concept that we need to start looking at. Well, how are we spending? Why are we why are we being reactive to what the issues are? Why aren't we looking at proactive approaches to break the cycle, which doesn't happen? I see it every day that oh, we've got a kid being removed. Well, let's keep them. In, let's keep them in the out of home care system. Let's mm-hmm. not work with the mum, but then let's kind of you know let's perpetuate the problem by disconnecting that young person from family, disconnecting that young person oh. from culture, and then we create the next the next generation of stolen kids. Right? Yeah. But it's like, well, actually, let's challenge the system. Why are we being reactive to these issues? Let's start being proactive and start engaging on grassroots, place-based design to create solutions by community for community. And if we start doing it within within black communities, I guarantee it can be adopted across all communities. Yeah, it does feel like we've just been putting patches on a a system that was broken in the first place. It's just had patches slapped on it every couple yeah. of decades and, and and what we really need to do is be tearing down this entire thing and starting from scratch and looking at what people actually need and what's actually going to help. Because I'll say to you, I, I guarantee if they looked at reinvesting that $31 billion and actually gave it to communities that mm. – understood the community and the community sentiment, we wouldn't be in this position. There are in, you know, I look at some of the wages that get spent in government departments. We have people earning $300,000 a year that makes decisions that go against all Aboriginal people. Like, well, could you imagine mm. giving $300,000 to a local community organisation? Yeah. You know, $300,000 to an organisation like Black? To give that, it to Black, that, exactly. Exactly. That would go a long way. We could probably run programs for three to four years that we were able to provide job outcomes, training, engagement, and mm. and and building building community capabilities at a grassroots level. But it's like, well, we're too busy paying senior executives sitting in government departments, 300 plus thousand dollars that I'm like, well, you know, so that's where when you start looking at that understanding what that $31 billion gets spent on, I mm. get frustrated, not just as an Aboriginal person, but as a taxpayer. And I'm like, well, let's get, let's, why, why are more people not mad about this? People should be mad. <laughs> yeah, <funny>. right. Yeah. <laughs> Now, on a bit more of a lighter note before we let you go, uh, you lead three black businesses in Australia and there's a real push for allies like myself to start putting our money where our mouth is uh, and donate money or spend money in, in these communities. Um, what's the best way for listeners to show their support for Indigenous-led businesses? Yeah. So, well, obviously, black Aboriginal corporation, volunteer-based organisation, we get no funding. We hustle to make our ends meet to provide services for communities. So you can donate. So donate to organisations like Black and if you go to www.blaq.org.au, you'll find links there. And just in regards to Indigenous businesses, you know, I know there's some amazing, capable Blackfellas out there that are kicking goals from artists to musicians to policymakers to community engagers participating economically to create social change for their community. I'm one of these people. I run multiple businesses, which gives me the ability to volunteer my skills as a CEO of Black to produce outcomes for my community. So, you know, if you're engaging an artist, 
look at purchasing not just the paint, uh, artwork, but purchasing a license around how you can use it around, well, what is, what is it that you can do to be creative and innovative to not just say, well, here's a piece of art, let's just buy it for the sake of buying it. Well, let's start using it. How do you license it? And if you're going to be engaging, there are lots and lots of capable Aboriginal businesses out there. And I would just encourage you, educate yourself about who's out there, and there's organisations like Supply Nation, which has a database of businesses who can provide services across the board. And what I would also say, if you, if, wherever you're listening, in, you know, around the world, because I know this is worldwide, um, look, talk about like find out the organisations in your local community, place-based support. How can you support mm. those guys? What are some of the non-for-profits or the guys who are doing the hard works on the ground, and how you can support them? And sometimes it's not monetary. Just remember that that's not also it's not just about money. It's about volunteering, immersing Your yourself in the, yeah, immersing yourself in the experience of the First Nations people, Aboriginal people, and go go give your skills. Um, you know, provide opportunities for them to learn off you and you to learn off them. And for me, that's that's how, that's for me as well how we start building that gap. Also, is around well, embracing Aboriginal culture because my culture as an Aboriginal man um, is your culture as well. I mean, is everyone culture in Australia because it's not just a two hundred fifty year history; it's a shared history of of you know of Aboriginal culture that we all should be really proud of. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, thank you so much for for chatting with us. And yeah, this and has been please fantastic. Please do come and visit us in. In Melbourne, yeah. no worries. And when we have our launch, we'll get an invite to you boys to hopefully come to Sydney and celebrate. Oh, please, our- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're meant to do it in April, but obviously COVID hit, so we've pushed yeah. it back. But we're all having a celebrative party as a formal. I love an excuse to pop up to Sydney. So yes, please. Yeah, we, <laughs> we went sure wild. We yeah. Remember, yeah. we went to Sydney for we went to Sydney for Mardi Gras, yeah. which seems like a whole other world ago. But that was so much fun. We would definitely please please send us an invite and. Um, Thank you again for sharing your your knowledge, your time, your voice with our show. We love it and and we're so grateful for the work that you do. Thanks, William. No worries. Thanks for having me. What a big episode. Yeah. Uh, Two very big, very different, but uh, wonderful interviews. It's been such a long time coming and uh, yeah, very special episode to me, obviously. And thank you, everyone, for being a part of it. Um, thank you for subscribing to our Patreon. Stay tuned. We are going to play a very fun game. But with until, your family. With my family. <laughs> well, we'll see if it's fun. But uh, <laughs> okay. But until next week. Bye. bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.